welcome to the Ego Podcast. My name is Dina Jackson and I am your host. We are live from Toronto, Canada, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. He is a mindfulness and insight teacher, originally from Canada, but making his home in Thailand, uh, over in the East, and he is also my personal mindfulness teacher. Please welcome Mr. Jess Kaufman. Hi, Jess. Hi, Dina. Hi, everyone. How are you? Later. Uh, I'm really good, actually. I'm doing great. I'm just back from Thailand for a month or so now and starting up all kinds of classes and happy to see people growing and developing through them. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to have you back. And so just so listeners kind of get an idea, you spend most of your time in Thailand, you've been living there for the last 18 years, and mm-hmm. you spend your summers in Canada teaching uh, various students like myself uh, mindfulness and insight and creating success and other cool courses like that. And, and you're doing much better this year. I've noticed a lot of improvements since last year, so good on you as well. Oh, thank you. Hope you're not just saying that because we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you uh, you came to class last week and we had a couple of chats and uh, I was able to see a lot of differences and improvements. So cool. you're definitely walking the right path. Thank you. Well, it's it's uh, mindfulness is a really interesting practice because when you explain it and you do a better job explaining it than I do, it seems very simple, but it can be very hard to practice because it's I mean, in some ways, like going to the gym, you know, it may seem simple, but you have to work at it, right? Yeah, and like TV series and Netflix is just so darn good these days. Yeah. So hard. (laughs) And those devices, right, in our hands, it's just so hard to just put all that down and like just spend some time on ourselves and just with ourselves and not distracting ourselves has become part of the difficulty you know how is it that we're going to be improving ourselves and working on ourselves and being better people and freeing ourselves from suffering and understanding more if uh, we're so indulgent with all these tempting uh, devices and things and screens all around us right Mm -hmm. and they are in fact tempting but then at the same time I've, I've spoken to so many people about this where if you do get caught kind of in the, the scrolling hamster wheel. I've used, used the term <laughs> hamster wheel many times in our classes. But if you do get caught in that, you know, you can find yourself like re- snapping out of it and realizing, oh, um, this doesn't feel very good. I don't like this. I don't know where I went for the last couple minutes. And uh, I'm so, not really sure what I was like looking you, at. Yeah, like you, you're totally out of control. It's like... Why am I looking at a series of cats in the way that they jump off of sofas in cute ways Yeah. when my intention was to write an email back to respond to something important? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so mindfulness has really helped me with that. And, you know, I, I really attribute so much of that to you and your classes. Um, we have gone into this. So for anyone who's listening 
episode 40, we had uh, Jess on as a guest as well. We went into a lot of detail about your experience, how you became a teacher, um, your experience as a monk in Thailand, and your move from Canada to Thailand to, to follow your practice and find your teachers. And it's a really, really fascinating episode, so I definitely recommend uh, t- checking that out. But Jess, would you mind just giving a, a little bit of a explanation about what mindfulness is for listeners who may be tuning in for the first time? Sure, I would be happy to just briefly. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll have to start with is say that a lot of people, even who might be listening, have an idea of what mindfulness is already and believe that they understand mindfulness. But what I'd like to say is that mindfulness is in fact taught quite differently in general in the West than it is in the East. Mm -hmm. And in fact, even if we say, oh yeah, but my teacher is a teacher that learned in the East or even a monk or somebody you're listening to from the East, it's still if they've had a lot of the Western influences or haven't spent time with any of the really amazing true masters that are available in the East and aren't necessarily the most popular in the West because they don't speak English, if you haven't spent time with the right masters, then you won't have a sense of what mindfulness really is. You might have a sense of mindfulness being something like similar to concentration Mm. where you're being attentive to something, mm-hmm. the, um, the body moving or whether it be the breath, being attentive to it or focused on it, or one step deeper, but still not quite it, where you're being attentive to emotions uh, or physical pain, like is taught, for example, in the Goenka retreats, which are popular Vipassana uh, retreats, and I put quotes around the Vipassana, where Goenka uh, was a really solid uh, teacher, but because it's been so westernized and it's sort of come down the lineage amongst unenlightened beings after him, that the power of the transmission of truth is missing. And so it's become westernized. And that's why there isn't all that much power to the teachings anymore. And people can have a good experience in the retreats. But I've met all kinds of people who've taken lots of different retreats and learned from different mindfulness courses and certificate courses, where they've even become mindfulness instructors. And none of them Uh, that I've seen, or very, very few, have a real handle on what mindfulness actually is and what it's actually for. Mm. So everybody that's under has heard, I'm sure most of you have heard the word mindfulness that are listening, have a sense of what it might mean, and have even maybe taken some classes, even instructor classes and things like that on mindfulness, but haven't really got down to what what it actually is for and what it actually is. In a lot of the cases, it's like, mindfulness-based therapies and uh, mindfulness for stress reduction, mindfulness to help with uh, even in some cases like dieting. And and so it's become like applied mindfulness Mm. where mindfulness, uh, ultimately the point of mindfulness is for insight 
or penetrating wisdom into actual universal truths about ourselves, about our body and our mind, uh, not to continue to have our separate identities and just trying to be like a little happier or less stressed or get out of a rut and these kinds of things. That was never how uh, mindfulness was intended. And you asked me what mindfulness is, and I answered mostly what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. I think you can often do that. That's often how you have to go, right? <laughs> yeah, I have to explain what it isn't, because if I say what it is, a lot of people might say, oh, yeah, I knew that, or I know that, or, or no, it isn't. It's something else, right? So I needed to provide some context. Uh, but it's, it's better to explain what mindfulness isn't, and what it isn't really intended for by the true masters, uh, by originally the Buddha, who was the one who taught mindfulness to the world first, mm -hmm. uh, and then passed down from that lineage, and then how it came to the West and then got sort of westernized as sort of like, we want to have tactics to make things easier or happier or get out of ruts, and so we've sort of used it as a tactic one of many potential tactics rather than for the power that it really has. So we've sort of reduced mindfulness to something that fits in nicely, a hip class to take in the West and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get that, that out of the way. And then what I can say about mindfulness is how to practice it, which is, uh, a whole, maybe a whole other conversation. Um, I could just say briefly that mindfulness is not holding attention or holding focus or, or being attentive, that those things aren't mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is much more of a split second moment of noticing what the body has done or what the mind, what has arisen in the mind uh, or what the mind or body have done. Mm -hmm. So it's not just trying to be present. No, you know, we can use that type of wording and it still makes sense. So like awareness of the present moment, right? You could say something like that. Right. But if you say something like that, you're in danger of people misunderstanding it as, oh, okay, so hold your attention in the present, get rid of thoughts and keep your mind still. And some people might think, okay, that's awareness of the present, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is incorrect. Other people might think, okay, awareness of the present, so I'm not gonna think about tomorrow, I'm not gonna think about yesterday, and I'm here with my friends now, and I'm just gonna be here with my friends. I'm just gonna be aware of the present and not think about anything else. Right. <laughs> also not mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So there are many ways that when you say the words, when you teach, that they get misinterpreted, or even some teachers have misinterpreted the teachings or been taught wrongly, and then they apply it the way that they thought that mindfulness was intended. But another thing about sort of the difference between the East and the West and how we misinterpreted mindfulness a lot or reduced it to... Uh, just like an instrument to help us get by. Mm -hmm. Totally. In, in, 
the East and the West. That's that, that's part of it too, is we don't in the West actually, we don't have the culture that is brought up, that we're brought up in such a way that we actually know about true teachers or real teachers. Mm. And so I, I, when I, I went to the East and uh, I went to Thailand and seek sought seeked <laughs> sought out real teachers yeah. uh, I guess definitely so. not grammar teachers <laughs> <laughs> their focus was mindfulness <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> in the west when we meet somebody we don't have a tremendous amount of respect for them if we don't know much about them yet and then we have a conversation or we listen to them and we slowly but surely might respect them later. But just as a general rule, it's not completely across the board. It's not black and white. However, in the East, people respect each other first and then might lose respect later if, if there's a reason to. Mm-hmm. And in the West, we don't have respect for people first and then might build respect. I wonder why it's so different. Like, I wonder why we we approach it two very different ways. I think that part of it is the fact that in Western culture, we are taught at a very young age to build our own personal identity. Mm-hmm. We're actually asked, you know, at the dinner table when we're kids, like, you know, what do you think of that? What's your opinion? You get to hear the parents' opinions. I think this, I think that. You can hear there's two parents and maybe an older sibling and different people there that are all voicing disagreements and even, you know, sometimes it's arguments, but sometimes it's just, you can tell that there's these very separate individuals and then you start to be taught even through school and through society and, and the family life about who am I in this and what do I believe and what are, you know, and it's very separated that way. And so you, you build up a separate individual and then you, attached to this separate individual you have an idea of who you are so a stronger sense of who you are and what based on what you believe in the west Mm. and on the east in the east it's much more of a communal belief system like we as thai people believe that and then dot 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 right yeah, so we are respectful people, or we believe in in Buddhism. We believe uh, we believe that our royalty protects us from harm and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so they have a they have a set of beliefs that you're taught. If, for example, in Thailand, which is where I spent most of my time and still do, mm-hmm. uh, at least fifty percent of my time. Mm-hmm. What you're taught not to have individual opinions, but you're taught what we believe, who we are. And so the individualism in the West, it makes it quite different and it makes it more different, difficult for an Eastern teaching to make its way to the West and remain pure Mm. and remain its original authentic teachings and not be converted into something more palatable for the West. Like, I get to keep my identity and who I am, but now I do this. Yeah, cool. It's part of, part of who I am now. I'm spiritual. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, 
I go to Sedona or I like, I really like this crystal over that crystal or right. you, know, you, you get to build up a, an identity where at the essence of spirituality, you're freeing yourself of the burden of identity. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I was going to say as you were highlighting that it sounds very much like the Eastern cultural beliefs are much closer to that of the spiritual belief of us all being one consciousness, right? And that we're all connected and that, uh, I mean, and you yeah, do... Well, these come from the East, right? So yeah. they come by it honestly. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting though, because I mean, the more individual you are, um, like not that there aren't some beautiful things about having identity, but the more individual you are in some ways, is, some ways the more isolated you are right? Because you're separate. Whereas the more that you feel connected to others, you can sort of feel a consensus of love and things like that, that makes you feel more connected and more of a sense of community. That's right. We all, we all deep down want to be loved or want to be part of something. Right. And you're a hundred percent right in that regard. We, so having an individuality having individuality is very different uh, from adhering to thoughts and ideas and concepts and a memory and a role. Like, like, so we, we are all, we all are different. We all are individuals. There's no denying that each person is a different expression, mm -hmm. but the pain and the burden comes in in identifying with that as who I have to, who I am or what I have to keep up. You know, so if you're like, you have a particular position, you're a teacher or a business person, right? And then you identify with that so much that like, even when you're home and with your family, you're still a business person, you know, or you're still a teacher. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying because I remember my my mom, who's a, a big advocate for meditation and mindfulness and who originally was the one who got me into practicing meditation. Um, she's, she told me once she went through a bit of an identity crisis where she um, was, realized that she wasn't her job. She had spent so many years um, working as an accountant and felt very proud of her work. And then when she actually sat down and said, well, I'm not my job, well, then that, that became very scary for that moment in time, right? And Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it, it becomes about, like, yeah, this identity crisis of who am I? And then what often happens is people who get interested in spirituality then pick up a particular aspect of spirituality and make that a new identity. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, now I'm not that. I'm spiritual now. I'm a meditator now. Mm -hmm. And all they've done is like try to put down one identity and then pick up another. And any time you pick one up, it of course has a weight to it. Anything you pick up has a weight mm -hmm. to it. It's heavy. And we're so attached to it that we don't even realize how heavy it is. But when you get these experiences the the genuine experiences of non-self and some of these 
more profound experiences that are available through mindfulness uh, as it's intended, then you see what a burden it is to have this mental idea of who you are and your role weighing you down as in a sense a prison of who you of what you keep yourself in mm-hmm. and, and all the conditioning that we've had in our lives as defining us and things that were So, like, all the conditioning that we've had in our lives, some of it good, some of it not so good, right, leads to different thoughts and emotions that come up in any particular moment. And and if we don't have the mindfulness that's able to see and free us from these things, then we're just carried away and by these patterns and just picked up and taken away by... Uh, sometimes, you know, hatred and anger and frustration and all the different emotions and different thoughts that come up during the day. We just get completely immersed in them and taken over by them mm-hmm. and do their bidding and just continue, often continue a bunch of negative patterns mm-hmm. and get really caught in a painful and, and the heaviness of that identity. And there's an opportunity to be free of these things. Mm-hmm. And we generally don't even know. And so becoming spiritual can often just be picking up painful things and we didn't know that we did. As long as we're attaching it or adhering to a particular role uh, and memories to identify who I am, right? Mm -hmm. My name, I'm this and I'm that, I'm good at this, I'm bad at that. Uh, All of that to different degrees Uh have weight have weight to them and weigh us down. And so you can still be good at this and bad at that and have your own individuality in the sense that you might be a funny person, like you don't stop being funny if if you're mindful or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just don't, you don't have to be these things. You don't adhere to them. You don't value, you don't get your sense of self or value uh, out of these things like your role or your financial status, or who likes you or doesn't like you today. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's so freeing, like when you actually experience it, and I can say that just from my practice, which has only been for the past year, but even in the year that I've been practicing it, um, you have moments that you call mindful moments, Jess, I'm sure, (laughs) uh, mindful moments where you notice yourself attaching to these stories and ideas of who you are or who you think you are with your identity and value and goals and you you catch yourself doing that and just seeing yourself get caught up in these things is a very freeing moment because you realize that you don't have to that you don't have to just follow the story and that you don't have to be stressed out about something in that moment, I, I had a really cool mindful moment last week. I was thought about something and that made me feel kind of sad about this particular thing. And then I kind of let myself feel sad. And I wasn't in my mindfulness practice at that time. I was just experiencing my day. And I let myself feel sad about that thought. And then I noticed that I have a pattern of whenever I think about that particular thing, 
I'm going to feel sad. And so just noticing that pattern was a very freeing moment because it allowed me to come out of that for a minute. And it was like, oh, I don't have to keep feeling this way. Or the feelings are going to be there, but I can be aware of them instead of just in them. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. but yeah, It sure does. Well, it makes sense to me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> It makes sense to you, we hopefully to listeners. <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah. We, it, this has been a pretty airy-fairy uh, talk so far, so we'll see how everybody's... Yeah, take uh, everybody with it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah. and and it's not an easy thing to explain to someone who's hearing about mindfulness for the first time, but um yeah, it is it's very freeing. It's uh it's a it's a very freeing moment and um yeah, so but it it just comes with that practice. Um so one thing I want to ask you about because you have um a course on this that I'm going to be taking and I'm excited about and it's about how mindfulness can help create success. And I think that listeners would be particularly interested in hearing that because we all want success, even though I was just talking about not attaching to that. <laughs> um, yeah, right. so I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, what I'd like to say first about that is success isn't the in the world isn't the purpose of mindfulness practice and and shouldn't be right however you might find that as you become more mindful that life goes more smoothly and you might be able to achieve success in the world in the sense that you're more in line with whatever it is that is the best version of yourself that you can put out there in the world. Hmm. So when you're, when you're mindful more often than not, you're not going to be acting from unscrupulous compulsions. You're not going to be acting from worry. You're not going to be acting from fear. You're not going to be acting as much from things like being irritated and impatient. Because feelings like irritation, impatience, anger, when you practice mindfulness correctly, then they do come up. They don't not come up, right? They do arise just like everybody else, mm -hmm. but then they disappear quickly. So they don't have the opportunity to come in, take over, and make your experience a negative one or a painful one. Mm -hmm. So normally in life, we will like get frustrated and just be like, okay, I'm just going to do this. You know, so whether it be drive too fast or not put on our seatbelt and get in an accident, or you know, when we're driving and getting frustrated and, and being irresponsible, or when we're frustrated or annoyed and then we just do our work not to its fullest ability because we're distracted by our frustrations or distracted by disliking people at work or because we just want to hurry and get home and so we don't do what we should be doing mm -hmm. or don't do things to the best of our ability. That when we feel uncomfortable emotions in our heart, 
at any given time, it's going to take us in a direction that isn't productive and actually sabotage things that could have been really good. So it's not even about having to put in like tons of effort in being a better person and working day and night to be successful and be super focused on our goal. It's more about being able to notice, notice, to know, you know, you have a sense of what your goals are. And then taken over by something that isn't in line with a better version of yourself or with your potential in any given moment when you're straying from the direction or the path that you are on. How does that sound? Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds good. Do you think that a lot of the time when someone is set on a goal, that just based on what you were saying, that we do a lot of self-sabotage then, if we're not doing it in a mindful well, absolutely. way? Like, yeah. yeah, like for example, if we're doing a lot of work, uh, that that really it takes an alert, clear mind to accomplish that work and you have to deal with people and you have to speak precisely. Just as an example, if that's required in our job, then, and we knew that to be part of an important part of our success, then why would we smoke marijuana mm-hmm. or get drunk? Mm-hmm. In, the, in the evening, when in the morning we have to be alert, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't be able to do that. You would see the greed that wants to do that or the pain inside you that says, you know, I, I can't handle myself right now. I need to medicate how I'm feeling because I'm too anxious mm-hmm. that or, or, or too upset or can't deal with how I actually feel when I'm sober. I need to make it better or more fun or more relaxing. Those are all things that people who don't practice mindfulness correctly uh, will might have to do or might want to do because but it because their their mental state or emotional state at the time is not hard to say the least. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you're operating from mindfulness, a lot of the time you're sort of at an optimal state. You're not overridden. You're thinking, but I think that's what we're going to talk to stop thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to put that in there uh, quite poignantly. Just, just, just cease any teacher that's telling you to stop your thoughts or hold all your thoughts back. Uh, as as the correct way to practice, uh, just just stop listening to that teacher immediately. Just, uh, that's not that's not the correct practice. And that might only be the correct practice in the most extenuating of circumstances where you're severely depressed, uh, and that's better than the alternative. But, but not for people that are at least somewhat healthy. That is not the correct uh, uh, teaching. So, so it's not about stopping thinking uh, or anything like that. But when we are in a place where we're more mindful, then the thoughts 
don't completely take us over and we'll notice when, and you might've noticed this, Dina, like when, when the thoughts start moving faster and you can kind of get, you get more taken over by it and you start noticing anxiety come up mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, when you're, when you're in the mindfulness game, it doesn't get to that difficult of a point because you're able to see sooner and sooner when the mind starts getting like that and it starts disappearing. Mm-hmm. It starts fading away. So the anxiety isn't allowed to, it, it doesn't like take over, completely take over. It doesn't, it doesn't have its footing mm-hmm. because some of the feelings of worry come up and then they disappear. You can't just worry normally when we're not mindful. Worry comes up, we get taken over by our worried thoughts and then more of them and the emotion gets to spread and take over and then we're totally manipulated by a painful state. In this case with mindfulness, that isn't able to happen. So our mind, our, our emotional state is at least, is usually quite good and at least very like decent enough that we can deal with it and don't need to resort to um, medicating. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's just, I went pretty long there, but that's just one example of how you don't get in your own way. There isn't self-sabotage as far as being able to create success or reaching your full potential in life. Your full potential is automatically realized in your life when you're not a slave to whatever emotional or mental state is there at any given time. Hmm. That's a very powerful thing that you just said. Not, I mean, everything that you oh, set up to it. Well, everything that you set up to it as well. <laughs> no, I'm not saying, oh, the rest of it can all go in the garbage. That's not what I meant. Um, I just joking. Yeah. But, no, no. But it's, just it's, hoping that I can say things that, are been, that people can, I mean, we're saying things on a lot of different levels here. So there'll be some things that, people don't connect with or resonate with at this moment. And then there'll be some things that they do, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think just in respect to what you were saying about, um, you know, freeing yourself from that moment where you realize that you're not a slave to those things anymore. You know, that going back to what we were saying about the hamster wheel, like it's, it's, we, um, any of us, many of us know the hamster wheel analogy in our own life and can apply it in some way. Um, but mindfulness really is something that can help you step off of it. And I have to say that that that's just from my, my own experience, but I do feel that when it comes to things like setting goals and having, having intentions for the future and things like that, it's easy to get back on it, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah, I, yeah I, easy to get back on track when you're more mindful. And then there are a lot of other aspects to it as well. Mm-hmm. But that is certainly a core aspect that I think in all the sort of success and law of attraction courses and books in the West, that it's one of the aspects that isn't understood mm-hmm. quite enough. And it's a huge part of the ability to create success in your life. And so I have a creating success course that I teach. It's like a three part meditation slash visualization that I lead on online. Mm -hmm. And there's that mindfulness aspect in it as well, as well as moving deeper into your subconscious or unconscious mind and encoding 
mm-hmm. some success in there as well as bringing guidance uh, to you from other planes, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> but it's all involved in the Creating Success course that, that I lead. And there's another that one, there's me one of, coming up, right? It's coming up. Um... Uh, yeah, I have one. The next one's July 31st is the first date. People can check my website for uh, creating success with mind power. That mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to mention that. That's another aspect. I mentioned higher planes just now, and uh, hopefully that doesn't make half the listeners uh, hit the off button. No, I think um, at this but, point they're probably pretty on board. I think <laughs> if they've made it this far, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, a lot of listeners like this kind of stuff. So I'm I'm okay. confident with what you're going to say. Okay, that sounds good. So what I was going to say is that there's another aspect that's really, when we were talking about West versus East, uh, and Eastern understanding and Western understanding, there, there's this whole other planes of existence thing that is a difficult one for the West to swallow, except for religious people who might believe in a heaven and not a hell, or maybe a heaven and a hell. And it's, it's sort of a, a simple approach. However, it does at least open the mind to the fact that there are other planes of existence other than human beings and animals. And um, when you have had some experiences with other planes of existence, I guess, Check my book, book Insight about that. I don't want to get into it too much. But if you have some experiences with other planes, then that, that's, that, that makes it a hugely different experience when you are able to learn from teachers and, and learn different teachings and why what happens to mindfulness and other spiritual teachings when they hit the West is they hit a lot of minds that don't believe in past lives. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Western mind in general isn't taught about past lives at all. It's, it's at most taught about one eternal future life, like in heaven and hell, mm-hmm. or, or just believe in annihilation, mm-hmm. which is sort of, I guess, the, the atheist belief, which is the belief um, that after death that it's just complete darkness mm-hmm. and so you know you have to teach people about about success or or even preferably teaching people about mindfulness and insight and happiness when a lot of people just believe that well whatever all i have to do is be good and then i can be an angel or people who believe that i could be good or bad and it doesn't matter because I'm just going to die anyway, and then it's just blackness. So all I have to do is just get through this life. If I just binge watch enough fun series <laughs> and like and drink and just like hang out and have some fun, then I can get and through like, it. I know it might be a little bit hollow and empty inside, or there might be a bottomless pit of pain. But if I could just not go there, maybe deny it or suppress it, and just like make it to like 84. You know, or like if I have less suppression and I'm lucky and whatever and was a bit healthier, maybe I'll make it to like 90 or whatever. Just get to somewhere and then have hopefully the death isn't too rough and the illness isn't too rough. And then I did it. I did okay. You know, 
And and so there's that sense that that's that's all you have. That's the only place you have to get to. Mm-hmm. And and so I mean the teachings on mindfulness ultimately it's really about ending rebirth. So there's an understanding in the East about that you're born again and again and again and again and and the hamster wheel that we're talking about isn't just in this one life and then ends. As soon as there's the dissolution of this body, that's just the next step and then it just continues and continues. So you know, once we have some good teachings and some opportunity to practice now, we practice now because who knows in the next life if you're going to get the opportunity. And it just keeps cycling around and around and around. So it's about ultimately about ending suffering utterly and completely, not just getting by in this particular lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so remember. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Having that context of being born, just to conclude that idea, is having that context of past lives and future lives and and why it happens because of suffering because we're, we're stuck in a hamster wheel called samsara having that as a background when you're a child and believing in and open to the fact that you were already in other lifetimes and and so was your cat and <laughs> and uh, peanut <laughs> that's right <laughs> i think peanuts lived many lives <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and that we're heading into another one and it doesn't stop. Understanding that, then, you know, you don't have to teach mindfulness in a box where, you know, it's going to help you, you know, get the promotion you want or it's going to help you to uh, just get out of the rut you're in and then and just be able to get by. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it goes far, far, far deeper than that. And part of my responsibility as a mindfulness teacher is representing it for what it was actually intended for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time that I learned about past lives, cause I was brought up not uh, understanding that was uh, my first thought was, oh, yeah, yeah. My, my first thought was, Oh my, my goodness. That's like so exhausting, you know, like, one after the other after the other. like that's all I was like oh my like this isn't it like there's more and there was many before you know and like so oh, you know and then, but to end suffering like yeah that's how you actually get to end it you don't just get to hang out and party all the time and and be miserable underneath like you got to do some work <laughs> or listen to harp music for eternity on a cloud Ugh. <laughs> that would also be boring right yeah. Those yeah, it has to be there with everybody's so good and pleasant and yeah. like, you know, some yeah. sort of torture to be yeah. up there in heaven. Mm-hmm. So, so for eternity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God. And I, you said you said something really funny to me before that I just want to share with listeners. Like you had said, like most people, the average person who is like pretty happy, pretty content. Um, you know, they have a job, job, they have a family, they have, you know, 2.5 children or, or whatever it is. Most people are miserable underneath. Like if they're fine outside, they're miserable underneath. (laughs) There's like that hollowness that you were talking about. Right. And I think a lot of it goes to this belief system. Right. And before I started exploring a lot of this stuff, 
I was certainly one of those people. And I'm still working on it now, but at least understanding that you can, in fact, be free of that is pretty huge. That's a pretty big thing to realize. That you can be free of that. Yeah, well, the first amazing realization is that that's true, that we are carrying so much pain, and that all that we do in our lives, almost every decision we make when there isn't this correct mindfulness practice going on is a decision to how else can I distract myself or create hopefully some temporary happiness. Like, Oh, I'll get three minutes of happiness from this cookie. I'll get maybe an hour of at least forgetting about myself from this TV show. And it's just, I mean, it's been so ingrained as just what we do. So we don't think about it, but it's, it's distracting ourselves from this bottomless pit of pain and suffering mm -hmm. that, that there we don't want to face what we might be feeling like this this fear of what's actually going on in there mm -hmm. um, and some of that yeah. stuff is is that some of that stuff in there is probably not very nice like it's probably pretty gross and sad and mad and all kinds of things in there but yeah you know. but it's not as hard to it's not as hard to you gotta be brave but it's not as hard to deal with as we might think mm -hmm. yeah it, it really isn't uh, to have a, a mindfulness practice that's working to free ourselves of that slowly but surely. You don't have to, you know, dig up some horrible, terrible demons and face a, a death by sword in a previous life or anything like that to to begin the healing process. And I think mm -hmm. also there is a lot of comfort in knowing that we all understand what that kind of darkness is, right? And the more that we're vocal about it, we recognize that it exists in all of us, but it's just what what you do with it, right? If you're working with it or distracting yourself from it. Yeah, very much so. You know, we all realize that we're that. It's like, hi, how are you? I'm a bottomless pit of despair. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, I'm, I'm pretty unhappy right now. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. A lot of darkness, to be quite content, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. I am hoping to distract myself from myself with this conversation. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> and it's true, though, like what you were saying before about, you know, in terms of lining yourself up with your goals. You're right. If you do if you do take advantage of some of those distractions and those distractions can alter your state of mind like drugs or alcohol then yeah you're going to get off track right like things like that are going to get off track addictions are going to get you off track and so it's addressing those things so that you can in fact align yourself with whatever it is you want to do in this lifetime maybe other ones too that's right <laughs> yeah as far as this lifetime is concerned if you got to be you got to be somewhat certain of what it is that you would like a few years from now or a year from now to look like. Mm -hmm. And then you have to notice in your present moment awareness <laughs> what that means to different people, but you have to learn sort of moment by moment or period, each period during the day, each day, what am I, what I'm doing now or how I'm acting now, is that in line with what I want a few years from now to look like, or is it moving off mm -hmm. in another direction? And so if you can go by that principle, then, you know, somebody enters your life 
and you meet them and they have a particular profession and it's like, oh, that's helpful to where I'm heading. Or they have a particular uh, profession or start talking or getting you interested in a certain thing. And it's like, you know what? That's not a stepping stone on the way to where I'm heading. So you can, you know, you have a sense of where you're heading and then whatever it is that enters your life and whatever feelings come up and all of it, is it in that direction or not? Mm-hmm. And listening to that and being in a, a place where you can really hear that and listen to that and, and notice that it's there for sure. Signs. Yeah, and, and that needs to be something that isn't just intellectualized. Like, it really helps to take the course, or I don't know about other people's courses. There might be some other good ones and other not so good ones. But I know in my course, like, we really, we really work on you learning to see the world from that perspective. You know, to help encode a different mindset in there, which is really, really helpful. And you really yeah. do that in your mindfulness course as well where you were like because i know a lot of your all of your teachings are from the east just like where you start bringing yourself into your heart and what your heart wants you know as a student or when it comes to goals or whatever it is you're working on like i've really learned someone who's loves to intellectualize things as a stand-up comedian and british background you know uh, i love to intellectualize so it's been a lot of work and good work for me to start really understanding what my heart wants and 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 looking at things from that space because i haven't done that before before taking your class so okay well i think i think that your heart's probably pretty funny too so (laughs) (laughs) so when you're when you're being a comedian from the heart i think it's going to be just as good if not better thank you and also what you were saying too about as a teacher looking for a teacher and that's something that i might suggest to listeners and and um feel free to share your thoughts on that but just finding a teacher who meets you where you're at like you said that's so important that's something that I try to do when I'm performing comedy and I know we've chatted about that as well coming in and seeing where the audience is at meeting them there and then taking them on a on a journey and so for you with teaching doing that same thing and I also do that in my in my yoga classes like if I was going to teach a class that was far too advanced for everyone in the room then no one's going to feel inspired to try and to, you know, move along to the next step that's right for them because they're not going to feel encouraged to start. And I, so I think that's so important. And that's why in a lot of cases, like podcasts are good to get information about what classes to go to and who to see and not the be all and end all, like just listen to podcasts. But you should find your teachers that are able to uh, be the ones that help you along and coach you along and then work with them. And you get the podcast for entertainment and for helping you to find the right people. It it exposes you to different things and different topics. And yeah, ultimately, you want to find teachers that have intuitive abilities. So some comedians, and you were, you were talking about you can do that too, is you have the intuitive ability. You're able to feel the audience at any particular time and where they're at and what they require. And a good healer does that. Mm-hmm. And a good uh, mindfulness teacher should be able to do that too, not just uh, you know teach mindfulness is this. You should practice it this way. You do this every day. But 
to be able to be able to connect with each individual and know what they need uh, in order to develop at that particular moment, at that particular time. And then the next week or the next year when they come in, it could be a totally different teaching that they require mm-hmm. to to help them at that time too. So, I mean, that's another thing with the East and the West is that in the East, people learn from us as a child, not only that there were past lives and future lives, and this is just one life on the hamster wheel of suffering, but they also learn that there are people with psychic, intuitive, empathetic abilities. Mm -hmm. There are people with divine eyes. These are things that actually you can develop if you want to work at them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even have like, I used to teach a, a psychic development course that now Salima, who there's podcast 39, probably maybe yeah, one before, before mine. Yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my student Salima, I've, I, she's amazing at those abilities. And because I'm busy teaching mindfulness for insight primarily and, and the creating success course, I've, she's amazing. And so I was able to hand off that course to her and to relay it to her. And now she's running with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, but the ability to to uh, so psychic abilities are, are things that people in generally in the East or the way they're brought up are known to be things that some people have the gift of and other people can develop and it's not something that's like oh I believe in it oh no way that's stupid I don't believe in it Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and making an identity part of our identity of if we're a skeptic and we don't believe in it or if we just believe in it like with complete faith and no experience but it's just something that people experience a lot in the east if you're in any spiritual circles you'll meet highly highly intuitive and I suppose you could say psychic people not in the sense that they know what's going to happen what the weather is going to be like or you know, they shouldn't have gotten a car accident because they should be psychic, so they should know that that was going to happen. None of that silly stuff. But just to be able to see somebody and see their energy and see where they're struggling and and have insights into that and to know, you know, what they do or what they say or how they work with them energetically is going to free up more space and understanding in that person. Mm -hmm. And, And that's something that we don't really understand or aren't brought up with in the West that we sort of have to start to open up to and learn. It's like, Oh, this person might actually be able to see me like I'm naked here mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. vulnerable. Uh, and- vulnerable. And it's hard in the West. Cause like we've been defending our personality for a long time. You know, it's like, I don't want people to know I'm suffering. Yeah. But in the East, I think the sense that everybody knows that everybody's suffering, at least those that are paying attention that haven't been Westernized in mm-hmm. these and yeah. that we're all coming from, yeah, that we're, we're all suffering. We're all coming from a different space, whether it be a Western perspective, which is so focused on identity or an Eastern perspective, which is more of a collective identity. Either way, yeah. we're still suffering. Or, or this one lifetime isn't such a big, it's just one step in a huge, yeah. a vast amount of lifetimes. You know, we, they don't value uh, you know, my personal identity in this lifetime to, to the same degree that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. This is awesome, Jess. Like, this is so much information that I think is going to help a lot of people. And I'm I'm very grateful for you to, to, to spend some time with us here. 
Um, the, you mentioned a couple of things about your courses, so I just want to highlight those for, for listeners. You have a mindfulness course starting up again. Like you have one that I'm doing right now, but that's yeah. totally finished. You have another one coming up that starts on July 13th in Toronto. And can people find the info for that on your website? They can, yeah. So it's five It's five Saturday mornings, and then that'll take us in July 13th to August 10th. Mm-hmm. And then I have another Mindfulness for Insight class also in Toronto uh, starting in September for five Wednesday evenings, uh, September after Labor Day. And then I have a Creating Success with Mind Power course. That's an online course, mm-hmm. uh, so you can be anywhere for that. And that's three sessions. July 31st is the first session. And then the next two sessions, they can check it out, are, I think, August 8th and 11th, yep. depending where you are in the world. Okay. Uh, but it's three online sessions. And I'm also open to, I might be opening the Saturday mornings mindfulness course to online as well okay. as a as a listener, not as a participant, as a, or yeah, not as much as a participant, but to be able to listen to the talks. And then I might do just one extra Skype for those people that are listening in online to ask questions and have a question and answer forum uh, for them. Okay, perfect. Well. And so they can find all of that at jesskaufman.com. That's right. And, and yeah, we'll have it all listed there. And then also we, we chatted a little bit about the, the other planes and some past life stuff. So I love that stuff. Like I, I can't get enough of that kind of information. So for, if any listeners are really into that stuff as well, you cover a lot of that in your book insight, which I highly recommend. It really gets into a lot of that discussion about different energies and, and, uh, that book is available as well on your website? Yeah, for now it's just on my website. I'll try to get it on Amazon and those things at a later date when I have more uh, time and effort in those areas. But for now, just check my, my website and that's available on my website. I think it's just jesskaufman.com slash insight. Okay, perfect. You'll, you'll get to the ordering the book and then jesskaufman.com uh, slash insight class will bring you to the next, uh, to the Saturday mornings class if you want to have a look. Perfect. And look, anyone who signs up for the classes, they'll see me there. I won't, I won't be in person at the Saturday one, but I'll be in person on the Wednesday on this one and the one in September. So, yeah. Great. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll post this and let everybody know about your upcoming classes on the 13th. And then, yes, for anyone else interested you can visit jesskaufman.com, put all the info up, and definitely tune in to episode 40 so you can get more of a background as well. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you, Dina, and thank you to everybody who's actually still here listening to this after all our plugs for me at the end. <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 